But for us, EOS has been really transformational in, in achieving our growth and looking toward the future and working on our goals. And so EOS tries to define some common practices from setting like one year, three year and 10 year targets. So it's the first thing you need to put into that glass before you put anything else in there. Because if you fill it with sand, you can't put any more rocks in there. So those are the big things that move the company forward and are very meaningful towards moving that needle. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Not to make a blanket statement, but we are all seeking to attach greater meaning to our work, to be, you know, part of something larger than ourselves. Okay, and I know I just made a blanket statement, but it is true. Even those less altruistic than others want to know their efforts are going to more than just a paycheck. Back in the earlier days of the environmental movement, we called it the three Ps, people, planet, and profit, in that order. In fact, the very first blog post that I ever wrote was titled just that, people, planet, and profit. That was way back in November of 2008. We'll be sure to put a link in the show notes to that piece of Pulitzer Prize winning writing. To today's guest, People, Planet, and Profit is more than just a platitude. He and his company have a goal of doing good in the world. And guess what? The profits are following. Please welcome Calvin Hendricks Parker to Status Go. Calvin is the CTO and co-founder of Six Feet Up, a Python development and cloud expert consulting company. Welcome to Status Go, Calvin. Oh, it's excellent to be here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm so excited for our conversation today. You know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I got even more excited. I was on a recent cross-country trip, uh, and so as I typically do, I'd loaded my cell phone with a dozen or so podcast episodes of tech leadership style podcast. When imagine my surprise, I heard your voice coming through my Manu Clicks earbuds. Yeah. You were the guest on the CTO podcast with Etienne de Bruin. I'm going to encourage our listeners to check out Etienne's podcast. I thought it was a great conversation, Calvin. Yeah, thank you. And to our listeners, you really need to check out his episode specifically. It was actually a series on their BEST, best framework, that they've built for development shops. And while we're not going to talk about that today, I do want to dig into the passion and the purpose that drives Six, six Feet Up. Before we get into that, Calvin, can you share a little bit about your background and what brought you to the formation of Six Feet Up? Oh, yeah, um, that's a long time ago since Six Feet Up started in 1999. We were actually in the Bay Area. Um, I met my wife and co-founder in San Francisco, and we were working for some dot-com startups in the back in the dot-com heyday, only to uh, later found our own consulting agency, uh, which started as a basically a server in, in our living room that was like a, doubled as a coffee table. Uh, later to move into a cooking rack in a garage someplace with a T1 line and then on to bigger and better uh, co-location facilities from there. But along the way, started really developing our software engineering practice, uh, building, you know, starting with websites, but then now moving into more like software applications for, for customers. 
that's really where we got our start was uh, hanging out in the Bay Area. And in 2003, we moved back to Indiana and really started growing the company, uh, hiring people and then building bigger and better things. That's awesome. And, and I, for one, am glad you came back to Indiana because it's a great place to be. Me too. Great. And as you know, the tech community here is thriving. We're not quite Silicon Valley, but we are catching up a little bit at a time. I want to talk a little bit about Six Feet Up. I know that you all use the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS. Could you describe a little bit about what that is and why you chose it to run Six Feet Up? So we chose EOS about four and a half years ago. Uh, we were working with a couple of companies who were looking into EOS. It basically started out, there was a, a book called Traction by Gina Wickman, mm -hmm. which outlined the, the EOS framework. And then there's a follow-on called um, Get a Grip, which is kind of a narrative if you're yeah. looking for kind of a how it all works from a listening to a story uh, type uh, medium. But for us, EOS has been really transformational in, in achieving our growth and looking toward the future and working on our goals. Uh, kind of the premise behind EOS is if your company is going to have an operating system, it's going to have to have one operating system. And so EOS tries to define some common practices from setting like one year, three year and 10 year targets to uh, how meetings are run and when the leadership team gets together for their quarterly meetings and the annual meeting and when you set those various goals and then each quarter setting rocks. Um, so if you're familiar with like the, um, I can't remember what the book that originally came from, but like Franklin Covey wrote about rocks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the first thing you need to put into that glass before you put anything else in there. Cause if you fill it with sand, you can't put any more rocks in there. So those are the big things that move the company forward and are very meaningful towards moving that needle. And EOS has been pivotal in us becoming uh, very excited about these impactful projects. Our 10 year target was actually something we worked really hard on. And at first was not easy for us mm -hmm. to define. Uh, we started out saying we want to do purposeful work. Like our, if you kind of go back even before we were an EOS company, uh, Daniel Pink released a book called Drive. And he talks about intrinsic motivation and the, the reason like we show up and, and do the things we do and, and the things that motivate that. And that intrinsic motivators, the things that are like inside you, that can really drive people to excel and, and do more than just an, an outside motivator like money or you know, some kind of reward. And we always knew that the people who worked at Six Feet Up really appreciated that autonomy and, and that intrinsic motivation. And we, we knew there was a drive to do good in the world, but defining a do-gooder when we started on the EOS journey was actually one of our main sticking points. We knew we wanted our 10-year target to be related to the do-gooders in the world itself. And so the first step was actually define what a do-gooder is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Who are you going to work with? What companies are you going to seek out to, to help go advance or accelerate their mission uh, through, in our case, using software and, and software mm -hmm. engineering to do that? Uh, it took us about a year and a half to really come down to that impactful project is actually defined by our acronym, which is uh, clever enough, impactful. <laughs> uh, it's really things that are impressive, moving, purposeful, advanced, collaborative, transformative, future-focused, unquestionably benefits humankind and legacy. So if we look at every project we do, we actually measure it against those specific criteria. And for it to become qualified as an actual impactful project for our company, the whole company votes on the project we just completed to say whether this was an impactful project. And our goal for the 10-year target was to do 10 impactful projects in 10 years. 
And it's really worked out well. You wouldn't believe how hard it is to define a do-gooder because you may have companies that do things that maybe are not typically in the do-gooder realm, but they have divisions or software projects inside of them that may actually match our impactful standard. So it may not be the company overall. It could just be a project that's being done within the company. I mean, for example, uh, we've done some work in the past with Cyndia Labs, and they're one of the places where the the nuclear atomic bomb was developed. Oh, yeah. The atomic bomb, uh, while impactful in other ways, is probably not the kind of project we would want to be working on or you know doing things for people who are manufacturing weapons. But we worked with a specific group inside of that um, specific laboratory that was working on nuclear deproliferation. And so helping them advance that cause of actually nuclear deproliferation as opposed to the reverse actually fits our definition of, of an impactful project. Could you run through the acronym again? What is an impactful project? Yeah, so, so each of the letters of impactful is, is one of the criteria where we'll have a one to five scale. And for a project to be deemed impactful, it needs to reach a, a certain bare minimum yeah. threshold score. Um, I don't remember the scoring off the top of my head, but that, that's basically how we de- determine it. Uh, the first one, the eyes, is impressive. You know, does it, is it a, some meaningful uh, level of a project? It wasn't just like we put up a web page for somebody, but we did something that would be considered impressive and not just you know, run-of-the-day, table-stakes type work. Uh, the M is going to be under moving. You know, do, does it is it meaningful? Does it move you? Does it does it, you get some kind of a feeling when you, we talk about that project? Uh, one of our projects we worked on was about helping predict the trajectory of wildfires and saving the firefighters' lives, making sure that wherever they start digging their fire trenches and things, actually they don't put them into harm's way through yeah. this uh, prediction of where that fire is going to go. And that that can be moving when you hear the lives saved because of that kind of. A uh, is it purposeful? Now, does it serve some major or some greater purpose in the world uh, for uh, the greater, you know, the greater good uh, of things? Um, looking at the, the projects we've done now, for example, we helped uh, NASA back in 2015 hmm. with the New Horizons probe that went to Pluto, and so we helped them redesign and and rearchitect the user interface for the data that was coming back from the New Horizons probe, so the scientists could have greater ability to, to slice and dice that uh, mission data that was coming back. Uh, was it advanced? So that's the A uh, in impactful. Um, just using you know old old school technologies is not going to cut it. Uh, we need to be doing something that's not uh, bleeding edge or cutting edge, but more leading edge for us. So is it advanced? So probably uh, not COBOL. No, if, if it's, <laughs> it's not really you know moving the needle there. It wouldn't be considered advanced for yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, C is for collaborative. Uh, did we work in a collaborative fashion with a customer and in amongst the team? It's actually one of our core values of Six Feet Up as well. It's a go-together uh, aspect of you know our our team and what we do. Uh, the T is transformative. You know, did it change something from you know not working before to working, or was there a major change in process that this is now enabled uh, for that customer? Uh, was it future focused, or is it looking to build software that will last longer than you know a few months? Like we really try and build things that can last for you know up to a decade or more. Uh, for being future focused. The U is unquestionably benefiting humankind. Um, we recently worked on a project where we helped the, uh, the innovator or the entrepreneur who had come up with an algorithm for predicting where lightning will strike wow. uh, up to 20 minutes ahead of time with a 98.6% accuracy within 400 meter uh, radius. So within a quarter mile, 
within 20 minutes, we could tell you exactly where Lightning is going to be. The only problem was he only had it running on a single laptop, and it took 90 seconds to do each inference. We actually refactored that to be a, a serverless cloud application and got the inference down to under 500 milliseconds. So it could actually be you know, delivered into production and used by insurance companies or for uh, sporting events or airlines, for example, to minimize the, yeah. the windows they have to keep planes either on the ground or circulating in the air. And just think of the applications for a technology like that. And then does it leave a legacy? Is it going to have a, a long lasting, you know, hopefully impression on the world? So how many years ago did you establish this goal of 10 impactful projects? Over 10 years? 2015. Yep, 2015 has been our 10-year range. And with EOS, halfway through, you or almost all the way through the 10 years, you, you actually look at your next 10-year target. So we've actually started on our next 10-year mm -hmm. target, which is going to be taking the same idea, but actually writing 100 impactful stories in the next 10 years. So taking this idea of doing impactful work and doing more to showcase and highlight the, the people in the world who are doing good. So your company is not content creators per se, right? No. So help me understand that a little bit. The 100 impactful stories, you're still going to be doing impactful projects, right? Correct. So is the number still going to be 10 for the next 10 year program or, or is this replacing that goal? This will be replacing that goal. So the, the, the new goal would be, it, it may not be, it may be more than 10 projects, but it may not be a hundred separate projects, but it may be hundred separate stories we tell along the way about the impactful work we're doing in the software and, and cloud space. And how are you going to tell those stories? It could be anything. Uh, looking at short form podcasts, um, you know, Social audio, it could be just this, you know, plain old blog, you know, and being able to give exposure to those various groups. Okay, well, I know a podcast that you could tell your stories on yeah. anytime. <laughs> Back in 2015, you set this goal. How are you doing towards the goal? It's not quite 10 years yet. No, not quite 10 years yet. We are at uh, six of 10. Six of 10. Okay. Yep. 10. So we've got four more to go and, uh, you know, just, yeah, just a little yeah, over two yeah. years to do it. That, that, that's fine. I think we're going to comfortably hit that goal and actually work on now starting to rack up the 100 stories in, uh, in the next 10 years. Trying to build that library before you have to start doing it, before you have to start yeah. hitting the goal. Right. Right. I mean, the real, the real, goal, the real point is I, I think our, our group really loves change, trying to change the world. Like, can we change the world, you know, through technology? and make the world a better place. Well, you must use that as part of your hiring process, right? Because people, they, they have to buy into that vision. Oh yeah. What's your hiring process look like to identify people that have that passion? I mean, a lot of us through the networks we already have, and we're very involved in the open source communities, um, going to a lot of conferences like PyCon or EuroPython or being at AWS reInvent. So finding people through those networks or people through their, their networks of people we know um, we also look, you know, online, you can obviously find the careers that are available right now at sixfeetup.com slash careers. That'll lead you to the, the kind of people or the job descriptions for what we're looking for currently. Uh, I think what it helps with most is though attracting and, and setting the, the um, expectations for those who are, you know, kind of heading down this road and, and going on a journey with us. 
And I think it's really attractive for a lot of people. A lot of people want to get out of maybe the standard nine to five grind and would really rather be doing something more interesting. Um, some people have come from the product world over to work at Six Feet Up, which is where we're obviously a, an agency or a consulting model. And the work is very different each day. I mean, you, you there's such a variety of things we're working on and doing different kinds of projects for a customer. So it never gets boring. You're never working on the same thing for you know more than a year or depending on what the kind of project is uh, straight. And typically you're never alone. We always have a kind of an internal mantra of uh, you know, never go never go solo, uh, where we try to put multiple people on a project so that the the client, the partner who we're you know co-partnering with on the project gets the benefit of the wealth of knowledge that Six Feet brings to bear. Like our team is a very senior team of developers who enjoy solving hard challenges. That's really a key bit here is we don't have any junior, there's no entry level uh, developers on our bench. We're not doing production style work. We're actually out there solving sophisticated, uh, hard problems. Yeah, like rocket science. I mean, NASA. <laughs> I, know. I never thought I'd say that. Yeah, like rocket science. We're going to pause right there for a word from InterVision Systems. InterVision, as you know, is the publisher of the Status Go podcast. Unlock the power of more with InterVision Systems. We provide the cutting-edge technology and expert guidance you need to take your business to the next level. Don't settle for less. Choose InterVision Systems and discover what's possible. Contact us now to learn more. And if you do want to learn more, visit intervision.com. Today, we're talking with Calvin Hendricks Parker of Six Feet Up, and we're talking about do-gooder. So we want to do projects for companies or divisions of companies that are do-gooders and impactful projects. And we were just talking before break about the hiring process. Calvin, what's the size of Six Feet Up now and what's your geographic footprint? Yeah, that's interesting. We're, we're about 30 people right now, um, kind of fluctuating right around that, looking to grow um, as a few more projects on board. But the company actually, during the pandemic, expanded globally. Uh, we'd already had some remote workers. That was not a foreign concept to us, although we did forego the office space we had during 2020 and went just all in on the, the full remote workspace. But that enabled us to then start working with folks who are even outside the country. Uh, we'd had a couple people who were around, the, around our country, inside the United States, but we've got folks all across the globe, uh, six or seven continents, you know, Australia, uh, India, Pakistan, uh, South Africa, Slovenia, Greece, uh, Germany, Turkey, uh, Canada, and Brazil. Wow. And, and you're finding most of those people, as you said, through conferences and some of the other activities that you all take part in, right? Yeah, through conferences. I mean, even through uh, sites like Upwork, uh, we found some really skilled folks who were putting their advertisement for work on those kind of sites. But and people who have applied through the sixfeetup.com site as well. Um, what's interesting with the hiring process at Six Feet Up, we really try to leverage data. Uh, so before we even talk to anybody, there's a couple assessments we have folks take to see if they're going to fit for the various kinds of positions that we've, we've got up there. But that doesn't preclude anyone from being um, mm -hmm. interviewed for a position or even hired for a position. It's just more data points in the process itself. So we can actually build a great team uh, all across the globe. Well, and it goes without saying, I, I imagine that you are a very diverse organization as well. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, we're even a, a woman-owned small business uh, enterprise, right? But in in addition to that, uh, it's not just kind of smoke and mirrors. And we, you know, my wife's the the co-founder and owner of the company, but we actually have a very diverse workforce as well. Like the people who are on the team uh, aren't just uh, you know a standard fare. There's there's a great people, a great mix of personalities, and a great great group to work with. When I talked in the introduction about the whole concept of people, planet, profits, and then if you focus on the first two, the third comes. Yeah. <laughs> How's that going for you guys? Well, I mean, I'd say pretty well. When, we, when during the mm-hmm. pandemic, we grew from, we were probably about 12 folks pre-pandemic, 2019 timeframe. And then, so we almost, we doubled, you know, through the pandemic, you know, helping people, obviously with, with people moving to work remote and realizing that technology was going to be a, play a bigger role in their day-to-day work, people had a lot of software projects that needed to be done. And so that, I think, had a lot of influence on us growing and the fact that we can solve problems in a, in a very sophisticated, you know, modern fashion, given like our criteria for what we feel like is high-quality software development. Before 2015, when you set this as your 10-year goal, were you doing these kinds of projects and just not focused on them as a goal? Or was this something that you came to an epiphany, if you will, not trying to be trite in any way, uh, but maybe in 2015 that you started doing this? No, I think even before we realized we had worked a lot in the nonprofit space and the higher education space. And those people were obviously doing a lot of work um, toward a greater good. A lot of the issues that they have, though, is they don't typically maybe have on staff a capacity for certain levels of technology or skills in those certain areas. And that was something we really brought to the table for those kinds of companies. So being able to, again, accelerate their journey in the the technology space to help them make the world a better place Mm -hmm. was already like kind of on our radar. Uh, I think the EOS platform. So we actually started with EOS probably about, must have been 2017. Uh, time frame. And so that was, the yeah. NASA project was two years before. So we kind of backdated our 10-year goal so we could capture that NASA project as a start. And we would, we would go forward with it in the future. But we already knew you know, prior to the NASA project and prior to EOS that us as humans feel great about doing good for others. Like really, you leave work each day feeling awesome and you can't wait to get back at it the next day. And that's not just not just me as a founder of the company, but I think I, I feel like our the, the the team that we've built feels that way as well. Yeah, one of the things that has always impressed me about your organization, and, and this is before you and I even met, just watching your organization, is the community involvement. And, and by that I, I mean the community of technology professionals, mm-hmm. the AWS meetup, the Python web conference. How did you guys get involved in doing those types of things? Well, moving back to Indiana from the Bay Area in 2003, I think I was still struggling to find the open source community here in Indianapolis and in the central Indiana area. And you know uh, from being around here that this area was pretty Microsoft heavy, pretty pretty Microsoft-centric around everything. Bod.net, a lot of like Microsoft apps, a lot of business apps, a lot of off-the-shelf type software. And so I, I really was trying to find my tribe. So in 2007, mm-hmm. uh, that's when I founded or co-founded the, um, the Indianapolis Python user group, IndiePy. And that was really our first venture into community building uh, at any kind of scale. So oh, from yeah, 2007 yeah. to today, 
Uh, we've now got uh, well over 2,000 members in that, that specific meetup and speakers every month. Uh, we do run the yearly uh, Python web conference. Yeah. Uh, that's been going, this was our fifth year uh, in 2022, or no, 2023 is our fifth year. So next year will be year six. So it's, uh, it's really exciting to bring people together from all over the globe. The Python web conference was actually started as a virtual conference in 2019, pre-pandemic, you know, pre, uh, it was in vogue to, to be a virtual conference. Uh, but it was done with the intention that we were bringing people who couldn't travel to a major regional or, or major Python conference to the same kind of caliber of talks and people and actually focusing on some kinds of talks that maybe aren't getting the same highlight they would get at PyCon, uh, doing it in our virtual conference. Well, in this involvement in conferences, it, it led you to, I think, during the pandemic, if I have the story right, to create Loud Swarm. That's <laughs> true, yeah. Which is your conference software, right? Yeah, because it, it was, again, early days in pandemic. So we, we built that and launched it for the Python Mob Conference that happened in 2020, which would have been in June, I believe it was June. So around April, I was literally whiteboarding my ideas for it because we had done an event in 2019. It still felt disjointed and disconnected and didn't have that integrated feel to it. And I felt like there was a better way for folks to engage in a conference, you know, consume the great talks, but also get face-to-face -face time with the speakers and the other conference attendees and have that same kind of feel that, you know, I've come to love about going to conferences. I've been to 19 of the last 20 uh, PyCons and it's just become my tribe and my family. And so I wanted others to, to experience that as well. So we built the LoudSwarm platform uh, based on just kind of those ideas. How do we leverage you know, technology and the web and video to, to make a great experience and not try and mimic like an expo hall or, you know, like the real world, like really leverage what's going on in the virtual world to, to give everyone that same conference experience. Well, and to our listeners, not that this is a product pitch by any stretch, but I've had the opportunity to see a couple of demos of the platform. And if you are a conference manager or event planner, you should check it out. And Josh Qualls, you better be listening because you were the one that introduced me to Loud Swarm. Well, I appreciate that. One of the things that you have focused on recently, and, and I don't know if it's a pure focus or because you're looking for impactful projects, you've kind of found your way there, the climate tech. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about what drove you in that direction and what some, some of the things that you're seeing from a technology perspective in the climate tech space. Sure. So when, when looking at being intentional about going after impactful projects, we specifically wanted to target, you know, a couple different domains. If you look at the United Nations site, I believe there's 17 different project areas that fall underneath this uh, certification of kind of an impactful or do-gooder uh, type projects in the world. And, and we just kind of thought about what we thought was important for our, our team and, and what I feel like is important for the world is that there would be no world if we don't save our climate. So that's, that kind of rose right to the top. Um, we've also been looking at a few others, you know, climate change and, and um, sustainability, obviously being kind of number one. If without a planet, you've got no place to live. And there's a ton of technology going into climate tech right now. Uh, I think that when we are, when us as humanity is faced with a hard problem, uh, we will solve these kinds of problems. They, it's just a track record we have, even in the bleakest, darkest you know, of times, We've figured out some way to either reverse a, a terrible trend or to fix or make the place a better a better place. 
I know that um, you know, carbon emissions has been a, a big topic, and we obviously worry about that uh, because of you know, the depletion of the ozone layer. But I think we've actually started on the right track, being able to do carbon capture technology projects. There's a lot of innovation going on there. Uh, the most recent XPRIZE uh, is actually around carbon capture. So if you go look up XPRIZE.org, you can see a lot of the, the various projects that they've been doing. And that also is kind of hit the top of the list is like, how can we reduce carbon in the atmosphere to help, you know, save the planet? So we, we recently went to a couple of conferences. I just got back from uh, North Carolina, the UNC climate tech event uh, this spring. And it's really, a, it's a great group of people, obviously, because everyone there cares a lot. I mean, they're very deeply invested in, in the things they're doing and they're doing it for a really good purpose. So it's hard not to get excited when you talk to people like that. And that just, Enthusiasm is definitely infectious. Well, and I'd imagine also inspired when you're seeing yeah. some of what people are doing, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in the innovative ways that people are looking to solve these kinds of problems, I just you can kind of go down every every presentation with some you know either new technology or some new way they've they've kind of come up with either sequestering the carbon, using the carbon, repurposing the carbon. Um, it's you know people are locking it into building materials so that you can. Keep, keep that carbon out of the atmosphere and actually lock it away in other places or locking it into uh, specific kinds of stone. I mean, it's really fascinating how creative humankind can be when posed with a, a very serious problem. And it's almost a seemingly insurmountable problem. Right, and that's, that's the area where our developers get excited is these hard problems. So it's a good match, you know, where there's, there's a tough problem ahead of us and, there, and technology the advanced enough nature is actually going to be part of the solution. And that's where we want to be as well. Well, Calvin, as I warned you, we are all about action here on Status Go. We'd love to leave our listeners with some explicit calls to action, things that they can go out and do. So what are one or two things that our listeners can do tomorrow because they listen to this conversation today? I mean, I would encourage them to go read our blog. Uh, we, we post a lot of great you know, tech stories and articles up there. Some of the impactful projects I mentioned actually are on our site as case studies. So if you actually just go to sixfeetup.com slash impact, uh, that will link you directly into the section about our mission and the impactful projects we're working on. Uh, the other thing, if you wanted to check out more on that best framework uh, that you heard on the Etienne's um, podcast, the 7CTO podcast, that's just sixfeetup.com slash best. Well, and we will absolutely put links to those specific sublinks on your site in the show notes, yeah, yeah. as okay. well as to your career page for anybody listening I that would want to join. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Say that again. I said any friends of Jeff are going to be new friend, great new friends of mine. Well, I appreciate that. I've already started making new friends, new contacts from speaking with you and Darcy. So it's been great. Calvin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. My guess is this will not be your last appearance on Status Go. I hope not. We will have you back for sure to talk further about the great work that you are doing at Six Feet Up. All right. Thanks, Jeff. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Calvin Hendricks Parker. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. 
If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.